proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast, and the angels waited on him. Now after Jesus was arrested, John was arrested, excuse me, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. And now, O Lord, send forth your word, the very same Jesus Christ, our Lord, alive and empowered by your Holy Spirit, that we might hear this day and we might be changed. Amen. You know, sometimes in life, things don't work out the way you plan. You know, just every once in a while, they don't work out. This morning, I got a call. I was on my way in, and the van wouldn't start. Me and a few of the guys were gathered around with jumper cables trying to figure out which one went on where, and eventually it cranked over, and we got things set up. I was reminded as we were singing the song, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, I pastored in Britain for a brief time, and I don't know if you knew this, but hymns have different tunes for different words. So all hail the power of Jesus' name. We all know all hail the power of Jesus. Well, in Britain, they had a different tune, only I didn't know this. And so I had planned out the service, and, 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 and I walked in, and I was all ready to go, and they started going, all hail the power of Jesus. And it's just, it's up and down, and it's all over the place, and I had no idea. It threw me all off. I, I just shut down the service and said, we're going home because I don't like that chorus. <laughs> Sometimes things don't work out the way you plan. In, in your Bibles, I, you, you probably noticed this. There, there's not one, but there's four different versions of Jesus' story. Four different tellings of the life of Christ. We call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There were other stories circulating in the first century. There was the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Peter. There was about 30 other of them. But the early church decided that those weren't good enough to make it in. And so they those wise Christians, men and women, selected these four. Back in the day, 
uh, these four started being called the evangelists or witnesses. And in fact, if you've ever gone into one of those big Gothic uh, churches with, with spires and, and, and arches and, and statues and icons, uh, you can almost bet that any time you see four images, four things all together in a cluster, they're a reference to the, uh, to the four evangelists, the four gospels. Often these will be around the pulpit. There'll be a, a picture, there'll be a statue of a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. Referencing both the, the images and icons from Revelation 4 and 5, but also the four gospel. Matthew is the man, Mark is the lion, Luke is often the ox, and John that soaring eagle. And each of these four Gospels have certain distinctiveness to them. They have different characteristics. Sometimes they have different timelines. They tell different stories. They have a different perspective and nuances. And they all four start in very different ways. Matthew's Gospel, the very first one we have in the Bible, begins with these words. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then after that comes a long list of begats. This father person fathered whom and who fathered whom and down so forth through the ages. Luke, he begins his uh, gospel with a, a methodological defense. He, he says, since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us and handed on us to us, I will then add my voice. Luke wasn't a firsthand witness. So Luke went out and gathered all of his resources and, and brought them together and, and then told the story. John's gospel, the very last one we have, is, is different from the other three. It begins with, with this very high, very lofty language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. It's very philosophical, very otherworldly almost. And then you have Mark's gospel. The, the opening words we read this morning starts with this quotation. Old words long spoken. If you still have your scripture open this morning, I wanted to kind of point you out to one thing. Verse 1 is actually uh, um, not really a, a sentence. The, the first verse is, is doesn't have a verb in it. And, and some people think that, that this was the, uh, the title given. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So if, if you take that as the title, that means the very first sentence spoken by Mark is is a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. Which means that Mark begins his gospel with an ending. Which is good. Mark's gospel doesn't really have an ending. It's got three different ones that are kind of pieced together. It makes me think of the 90s rock band Semisonic and their song, The Closing Time. They have a, they have a lyric Every new beginning is some other beginning's end. That was deep for 90s pop music. The, the old beginning that is coming to an end in Mark chapter 1 comes from Isaiah chapter 40. Oh comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her penalty is paid. Well, what your Bibles don't tell us is that that these words of comfort and hope comes after 200 years of silence from God. 200 years with no word from the Lord. 200 years of crickets chirping in the still breeze. 
After all that time of God being silent, the first word that God speaks out to God's people is not a word of anger and vengeance, but comfort. Comfort, oh comfort my people. That's what the voice crying in the wilderness of exile says. That chapter in Isaiah is filled, as we saw a couple weeks ago, with this powerful imagery of hope and comfort and care of God preparing the way. It's got these grand typographical, topographical changes. The valleys are being brought up. The mountains are being brought down. As we just read a few moments ago, the rough places are made smooth. It, it's been a long time since I've been on a bicycle. I, I'm, I'm guessing for some of you it's been a longer time. You know, and when you've been off a bicycle for a while, you, you forget how hard it is sometimes to ride a bicycle. Not so much where I grew up. I grew up in South Carolina, and, and we were just there, and, and it's flat. There's, there's not a lot of hills. But around here, we, we have hills. And, and when you're on a car or, or a motorcycle, for some of you who have had that blessed experience of freedom and joy in your life that gives you... I'll stop. You know, when you're in a car and, and you come up to a hill, you just, you just put the pedal down and you go up higher. There's no effort involved. But, but when you're on a bicycle, you get to that hill and, and you realize that they, those things can be steep. You start pedaling and sweating your effort, your legs are burning, you're not going anywhere, eventually you admit defeat and you hop off and start pushing the thing in shame. The word comes from the wilderness that God is going to sweep in and bring down the hills and make them flat. God is driving a bulldozer. He is carving out the rest of 540. It's going to be easy going because God will prepare the way. That is the new thing. Back in Isaiah 40, God is going to begin something new. God is going to make a road. 500 years later, Mark begins his gospel with these words. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. There's a hard cut to, to John the baptizer out in the wilderness preaching forgiveness and salvation, preparing the way of the Lord. And it's like Mark wants his audience, those first readers, to go, oh, that's what he was talking about. If you're new to church, which, you know, maybe a few of you are, you might have noticed that, that we use different words to talk about things. After you've been here for a few years, you just start accepting the funny way we talk. But, but when you're new, those words can ring odd and off-timber. We like to dress things up. And so instead of hanging out, we say fellowship. Make it look, sound better. Instead of a boring 30-minute lecture that you're barely making it through, we call it a sermon. We call a sing-along worship, and giving becomes an offering. Vacations get labeled work and witness trips. And we take this idea of luck, a coincidence, happenstance, and we lasso those all together under the grand-sounding word of providence. 
You, you see here, we have this funny way of looking back at all of the random things in life. All of those things that didn't quite work out the way we had hoped they would have in that moment. And with the wisdom of hindsight and the clarity of faith, we see that sometimes those things weren't that random at all. I had a friend whose life was changed by a conversation at an interstate rest stop. I, I, you know, just a public service announcement. I don't recommend striking up conversations when you're in the men's restroom at a, at a, a rest stop on the interstate. That's usually not appropriate. But, but my friend, he, he had that conversation and, and his life was changed. He met Jesus and got married, not to the person he met in the restroom. Just this whole course of his life got diverted from that one random conversation. I could tell you about Bruce. Bruce was driving past our little church in Chatham County one Sunday morning, and he was, he was praying in his car about where he should go. His life had hit a, a rough patch. Him and his wife were in a, in a, not a great space, but not a great space, and and God kind of tapped him on the shoulder in his car and said, why don't you go there? That's a nice place. He pulled into our little gravel parking lot and became a part of our congregation. I could tell you about a teen in a Sunday school class many years ago who heard a teacher telling someone else that she had a really gifted way of reading Scripture. When they were gathered together, that 11th grade Sunday school class, she could read and her voice sounded great. She heard that. And that comment gave her affirmation and encouragement and confidence when everything around her told her she wasn't good enough. It set her on a journey that ended up with her getting a Ph.D. in biblical studies. You know, random stuff happens. But when you look back, you see that all of those coincidences seem a lot less like happenstance and a, more, a lot more like providence. Through the eyes of faith, you get this fleeting glimpse that there is something going on behind the scenes that you are not aware of. And it's not a controlling or a determining or a, a puppeteer pulling the strings. It is a coming together of happenstance. That the miracle of God's grace can transform and shape. I think that's what Mark is talking about here in the opening of his gospel. He's drawing our attention back hundreds of years to say that way back in time, God spoke into the wilderness of life and said, I am preparing a way where you see hills and droughts and, and tumbleweeds flying past. My bulldozers are at work. And here is John. All these years later, a voice crying out in a different wilderness and he is preparing the way. He's saying that these aren't coincidences. To use the funny way we talk in church, this is God's providence. And there's always a surprise when God shows up. You know, God doesn't show up in Jerusalem or in Rome with, with a horse and a chariot. God shows up in, in Bethlehem of all places in a manger, forgotten and overlooked. There is a surprise. Something happens, and when it happens, you might not have even realized it was happening. And then you look back and said, wow, who would have thunk I would have ended up here where I started there? 
The surprise this morning comes in the form of John the baptizer. His camel hair and rope ensemble. Looking as though he might possibly be out there on the corner of Maine and Rogers with a big sign saying, I will preach for wild locust and honey. John, who had that slight aroma of crazy about him, that if you saw him on the side of the street would cause you to cross over to the other side. But out here in the wilderness, that aroma draws the crowds in. They rush to see him as he is dressed like an Old Testament prophet. Elijah, come again. And they come out to hear him preach a baptism into, of repentance into the forgiveness of sins. I'm guessing that most of your Bibles there in verse 4 have the word for. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The Greek preposition there, though, has, has a lot of meanings. It can mean to, into, for, unto. And I think what Mark and what John is saying is not that a baptism of repentance that will forgive our sins, but that by this baptism, those crowds were moved into a place, into a pasture, whereby their sins would be forgiven by God. And that might be the greatest surprise of all. There's crazy old John out there in the wilderness, dressed like a fire and brimstone preacher. And he's bringing a message of comfort. He's bringing a message of hope. He's bringing a word of forgiveness. Isaiah was preparing the way. John was out preparing the way. Opening up the paths, bringing up the valleys, bringing down the mountains, making those rough patches smooth. So that the people could come into a posture of repentance and forgiveness. So that the people could be in a place to hear the news of God's mercy and salvation. That's what all this preparing, that's what all those roads being built out there have been leading to the very place of God's mercy. That one who is coming after John, that one with power and fire baptism, that one who we have spent Advent preparing for and Christmas celebrating, the very incarnation of mercy. And the most amazing thing of all, the greatest surprise of this, is that he is still at it. take a moment this morning and just think back over the places you've been. Think about all those coincidences that happened. All those happenstances that moved along your life. Now think about all those misturns and missteps. For God was involved there too calling and leading and guiding you to the very place where His love can intersect with your need. He has been showing you mercy and concern in ways that you might not have even been aware of, in ways that you might have overlooked and not noticed, in ways that you might have mislabeled. God has been preparing you so that you might receive mercy and the forgiveness of sins. 
God began something in your life long ago. And that story can end today as God begins something brand new. You know, I was thinking about all the uh, endings and beginnings we have. We do this a lot every single year. We, we, we close things and open things. We, we, we close out our fiscal year in, in March. We get all the reports sent off. We close out the liturgical, the calendar year in, in November and we start a new one. We close out seasons and they roll into the next. And today, the last Sunday of 2019, we gather to close out this year. I'm sure some of you have already heard or made the decade joke. I'll see you next decade. Every new beginning is some other beginning's end. But with those endings come a time to start fresh, to feel that energizing warmth of possibility and potential. For out in front of each and every one of us is that unwritten unknown of 2020. And you know what? I'm sure there's going to be some wrong terms, turns. I'm sure there's going to be some misdirections. I'm sure we're going to gather and I'm going to have the wrong hymn picked out and the wrong song sung. And I'm sure that everything won't work out the way we hope and dream. But know this. Every step along the way, in that grand adventure ahead, God's providential mercy will be there to guide and redeem. And in that moment when we hear the voice of Christ calling out to us, follow me. We'll be ready, for the way forward has been prepared. Let us pray. And now, O oh Lord, we give you thanks for the past, for where we have seen your hand guiding and directing our paths, where we have witnessed you bring down mountains and lift up valleys, where you have, have smoothed out the rough places in our paths. But, O oh Lord, as we look into the future, we see some mountains up ahead. We see some rough places in the road. And so we ask, O oh God, would you act again? Would your Spirit go before us, lead us, in the midst of the wilderness that we find ourselves in, to a place of pasture where we can hear the guiding words of mercy and forgiveness. And may, O oh Lord, along the way, even when your hand is unseen or unnoticed, may you, we praise you at all times with happy voices. For it is in the name of our Savior Jesus that we pray, the one who calls and the one who forgives. Amen. Let us stand together as we sing.